If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We made it to chapter 5. It's on page 933 if you want to follow along with me uh, the, with the Bible that's in front. We're going to be at 933 and 934. Uh, this incredible book, this is like week 12 of a sermon series that we're making our way through uh, verse by verse because it's really important for King's Chapel and for really all the church to understand this. Because why? Because this little book in the Bible, this one little book of 66 books, it's, it's kind of like an owner's manual for the church. It will tell us, it says the church is the household of God, we're family. It says we are the church of the living God. And this was written by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was written to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. And he was in a place called Ephesus. And so as he uh, was written uh, this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit, it was for some particular things that were going on in Timothy's life and his ministry, but it's also appropriate for us as well. It's like an entire owner's manual uh, for the church. And wow, well, I'm so God, glad that God has given it to us. And let me tell you, at King's Chapel, it's foundational for us. We gotta get this. We gotta make sure, what is it? Uh, how, how is it that God wants us to act? Who are we? And how do we relate with one another? Well, this morning, we're going to talk about family dynamics. Family dynamics. Now, let that just sink in for a minute. Family dynamics. What comes to your mind when I say family dynamics? For some of you, does your heart just kind of warm when you think of family dynamics? You got a warm, fuzzy feeling. Ah, oh, man, love family dynamics. Uh, for some of you, do you have a shiver grow up your spine? Family dynamics. I mean, listen, if you're in a family, you have dynamics, right? Uh, and it's going to be the good and the bad and the ugly. We all have it. Uh, there's no family here that is exempt. No matter who you look across and say uh, what their family dynamics are, they got issues too. I promise you, we all do. But family dynamics, are they not one of the major things that, that help us navigate through life or I should say affect our life as we navigate our way through well, 1 Timothy uh, is going to tell us and remind us that, hey, we are a church family, that the church is called the household of God. I love that, that this is his family. This is his household. We are the church of the living God. And because he gives us this owner's manual, it's going to tell us about God's family dynamics, how we are to treat one another, how we are to respond to one another, how we are to respect one another. And what is all this stuff doing around me today? I mean, my goodness. Um, anyway, I feel like I'm a little like this. So anyway, I love it. I'm so grateful for it. Will you quit interrupting yourself, Jeff, and get on with your sermon, please? So we're going to see that this family dynamics, how we're to relate with one another, how we're to treat one another. And specifically, it's going to talk about some folks of age, specifically widows, and how we are to deal with widows and, and how we are to have... A, family dynamics, why the goal is always this, for us to flourish, for us, for the glory of our great God, for the good of our neighbor, we got to figure out how does church family dynamics work. And this is really important. And by the way, we have a long history of some highs and lows. And we probably all have some stories of our own family dynamics of highs and lows. And we probably all have some stories of some church family dynamics of some highs and lows. So let's go to God's word and say, God, help us know how should we treat one another? How should we relate with one another? 
And this is so important for all of us. So there's going to be three things we see this morning as we read through 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 through 16. We're going to see one is God's family dynamics. He's got something for everybody here. Secondly, we're going to see this, and I love it. It's God's heart for the truly vulnerable. In this passage, it reveals God's heart. And then thirdly, we're going to see God's pure and undefiled religion. And what does that look like? So let's turn to God's word. Remember, uh, if you would like to follow along here in person, there's a Bible for you on page 933. You're welcome to take that home with you if you would like. Um, And hear the word of God. Again, written by the Apostle Paul, written to a guy, a young pastor named Timothy, written to a place in Ephesus. But because it's inspired, it's just God's holy word, it's written for us. And he's got a message he wants to talk to each one of us. So hear the word of the Lord. 1 Timothy 5, beginning verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren... Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled. I'll explain that in a minute. If she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Beside that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So that I would have the younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful for your family dynamics here, your church family dynamics that you've given to us. And God, there's a lot of nuts and bolts here. Uh, God, it it's, gives some more details. It's amazing in this verse. There's two chapters that talk about all of us. Or it's two verses, I should say. And, and then the rest is all dealing with widows and who are truly widows. But God, what is really most importantly to be seen is your heart. Your heart for your church. 
your heart for each one of us, and specifically your heart for the vulnerable. And God, I pray for anybody who's listening or here or online, God, if they feel vulnerable, if they feel lost, they feel disconnected, that God, you'd wrap those everlasting arms around them. That all of us would just know that we are beloved in Christ Jesus. Oh God, would you come and speak through a broken sinner like me? Would you give us ears to hear your voice and minds to understand your word and hearts that will embrace your truth and feet that will walk in a manner worthy of your name? God, the things that I say that are wrong or just merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you use those things to make us more like Jesus? Would you use those things to help us understand how to honor you with church dynamics, family dynamics, the way we love one another, serve one another, and honor one another? We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. The first thing we're going to see is God's family dynamics, and especially in verses 1 and 2. And what I want to begin with is, is this, and we can't miss this, is that God, who is the God Almighty, the eternal God, has lavished a love upon us, an eternal love on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. I love it. That's exactly what 1 John 3, 1 says. It says, Behold the manner of love in which the Father has lavished love upon us, that we, knuckleheads like us, broken sinners, that we should be called the children of God. And I love the fact that if the verse stopped there, we would all have reason to stand up and say, Thank God. God's lavished love on us. We are called the children of God. But I love even more that the verse gives us even more than just that we are called the children of God. And it goes on to say this ama these amazing words. And that we are. No matter if you feel it or don't, if you are in Christ Jesus, if he is your Lord and Savior, you are lavish love. You are a part of that family. That is what we are. And I, I know that when I coached Little League for several years and I had the privilege of, of having a lot of kids on our team, the first thing we always did was we all gave them nicknames. It was one of the best things I did as a coach. And um, Bill Talby and I coached together. Pray for those kids. I'm sure they're in counseling somewhere now. And so, but you know, some of them, you know, you call son, son, come here. I want to help you. And let me, let me help you. And you, you gave them a term or uh, I called them by son. But I'm telling you, when the kid took the field, there was only one that had the name Jake's on the back. And that was my beloved son. That was my true son. And I want you to know in all the world and all the image bearers of the world that God loves, those who share his name. When we take the field, we are lavished and we are loved. Why? Because we are a part of his family. How in the world can that be? I love what John, the Gospel of John, I read to you the Epistle of John. The Gospel of John says this. How do you become a part of his family? It says this, John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, receive Jesus, who believed in his name, that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. Watch this. All we had to do is believe. It wasn't you were born into it. It wasn't you became more religious. It wasn't you became more holy. It says, those of you who have received him as Messiah, those of you who have believed that he is God's promised one, he gave the right to become children of God. Man, we're part of his family. All by God's grace through faith. Who were born not of blood, natural birth, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. We are, we are born again as a part of his family in Christ Jesus. 
And now when Jesus was teaching his disciples and us to pray, he says, listen, when you pray to the God who is the eternal God, here's what you're supposed to say. Abba, Father, Daddy. Yeah, we have this incredible boldness, this incredible ability to come into God's presence as a family member. Use it. Have access to the God who is. What an incredible privilege to be able to say, Abba, Father. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 is going to remind us that it's in love God predestined us to be his adopted sons in his family. And with family, here's what we know. He's given his family a special meal. We call it communion. He's given his family a special family reunion. Uh, it's called glory. It's what's coming. Uh, he's given his family a special inheritance. And scripture will say that all the blessings in the heavenly realms are ours in Christ Jesus. Incredible. Rejoice in it. If you are in Christ, if you've placed your hope and faith in him, you are a part of God's family. All because the Father lavished love on you, all because the Son came to rescue you, to live and die and be resurrected for you, all because the Holy Spirit fills you. And if you hear nothing else this morning, know if you are his, rejoice in that. And if you don't, long for that more than anything. It's only for those who believe. How incredibly gracious. But now it says, listen, here's the family dynamics for those who are in a family. Respect those older folks like parents. Respect our elders, uh, those older like parents. Don't rebuke the older man. Remember, Timothy's a young pastor. And times he had to tell some of the older folks who were going astray, hey, straighten up. But he was supposed to do it in a certain way. So don't rebuke the older person, but encourage him as you were a father. I, I just wondered... How do you encourage a father, by the way? You know, usually it's not a role of a child to encourage the father. Usually it's the other way around. That's how it's supposed to work. But he's basically saying, respect. Respect those who are older than you. And older women like mothers. Show respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That is what we are supposed to do. Honor, the word honor uh, here is, is, is taken from the fifth commandment, that we are to honor our fathers and mothers. Uh, that's all authority God has placed over us. We honor that reality, and we honor God. We, we honor those when we treat them like fathers. It doesn't say honor those who are older who've earned it, or who deserve it, or who act like it. It says honor those because why? They're older. That's the way the church should be. Um, I can't believe I fall more in that category of older than it used to. What happened? But honor them. But then it says this. Treat those younger like siblings. Is that a good thing for you? <laughs> Treating like brothers or like sisters, all right? Uh, so treat the younger men as brothers. Treat the younger women as sisters. How did you deal with sibling rivalry? Um, you know, it doesn't mean that you beat the stew out of each other. You call each other names and give each other noogies. Uh, he's saying, hey, there should be peer respect, especially those who are younger. Treat them as family members. Treat them as peers. You know, you treat them with respect as well. Deal with them. Uh, deal with them in a very loving way. They are a part of the family. Um, you know, fight for their honor. I don't know about you, but hopefully you had siblings who would stand up for you. Uh, hopefully, uh, uh, young ladies, uh, hopefully had a brother that if, if he needed to step in and, and, and straighten some things out, he'd do it. That's a good brother, right? I mean, hopefully you have uh, sisters with sisters that when you really needed to relate to something, they do it. That's what he's saying. There should be a connection with us in the blood of Christ Jesus that we're looking out for one another. We're treating each other as peers, but we have each other's back. 
And we have each other's back. And you know what else? Your name is important to me because you're my brother. I'm going to fight for your name. I'm, I'm going to care about your name. I, I mean, I'm going to get ticked when there's slander. When someone's talking about you, I'm going to deal with it. And so this is really treat each other like brothers and sisters. Can you imagine if the church did this beautifully? Can you imagine if we honored those who were above us and if we really loved those who were beside us? And this is what is going to honor God, to, to respect one another, to love your brother, to protect them. Uh, but then it says in all purity. This is really important. Remember, he's talking to a young pastor. And there definitely is some sexual overtones in this, saying, hey, honor one another. Be pure. Uh, be careful. And I love the fact, he says, treat each other as sisters and brothers. And there's, there's, there's this kind of like inference, like if you don't honor them, it's kind of like a weird incest thing. Now, hit pause. It doesn't mean that those can't fall in love and get married in the church. We love them. Uh, but it does mean that you should not prey on them. It means that purity is our first hope from everyone down the line. Family dynamics of purity. But then we see beyond that. So here, here's he's telling us, just those two verses, God's family to have these lavish love upon us. But then you see the God's heart for the truly vulnerable in verses 3 through 8. Have you read the Bible through? If you have, one of the themes that you're going to pick up on, you can't miss it, that God has so much to say about widows. He has so much to say about orphans. He has so much to say about aliens. It might surprise you, but it seems in many, many ways they're some of his favorite. He's always talking about look out for them. He's always talking about honoring them. It's those who tend to be isolated, those who tend to be marginalized, those who tend to be vulnerable, God just has a special heart for them. Hit pause, is that you? I just want you to know, is that where you are right now? I mean, God's heart for those who are vulnerable is unbelievable. Contrast what's happening right now in Afghanistan with those who are vulnerable. Contrast right now what's happening in parts of the world, evil in our world, for those who are just because they're women are being preyed upon. And this is our God. Our God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Anybody, the, the vulnerable, I mean, we got to protect them. The vulnerable, we got to honor them. Um, really, we got to make sure that, that uh, they're protected. Too often, uh, a married woman is only defined by her relationship with her husband, especially back then. So true in the cultural context of this, that so much of a woman's identity, uh, so much of a woman's security, so much of a woman's future was dependent upon her husband. And if he dies, she loses not just a spouse, she loses oftentimes social significance, and she loses her future. So in Scripture, widows, orphans, aliens, the vulnerable are valued. And here's the beautiful thing. They're valued for who they are in and of themselves. Isn't that good news? It's not who they're connected to other than Jesus. They're valuable in and of themselves. And God desires to give them special honor and care. God's word demands justice and love for them, his people, through the church. Let me show you a couple things. God's law in the Old Testament, this is what he says way back in the book of Exodus, verses 22 through 24. He said this, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn. And I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Wow. That's a heart that God has for the vulnerable. And then God's going to put it in song 
is in the Psalms. In Psalm 68, verse 5, he says that God is a father of the fatherless and a protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Hit pause. God sees you and knows you. He loves you. You feel vulnerable or you feel alone? You're not. Emmanuel, a God with us. And you have a special spot with him. God himself is a father to the fatherless. I love this. God himself is a defender of widows. This is showing God's true heart for the vulnerable. And then we get to Jesus. There's a story in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 12. And there's a funeral going through a town named Nain, N-A-I-N. And the funeral's going through, and it's a, it's a only son of a widow. A widow's gone. So her husband's gone. Her son's gone. You know what that means in society right now? She's got nothing. I mean, she's got no one looking after her. She's got no support. And there she is wailing, knowing that my whole identity, my whole hope is in that casket, dead. So what does Jesus do? He goes up, touches the casket, and brings him back to life. Brings him back to life to that widow, knowing that how much that would mean to her, raising him back to life. In this passage, God says a whole lot about widows. There's a lot of nuts and bolts. As I read that, I bet you were wondering, huh, there's some really nuts and bolts about dealing with widows and who are truly widows. And some of it might even seem a bit harsh, to be honest with you. And we might even forget God's heart behind this. If we just look at this and we think this is all of God's heart for widows, we might think, well, wait a minute. Is he really caring about all? He does. So let's look at it the bigger picture. These are nuts and bolts for the church, but he's given us this big picture. Honor the widows is what he says. Again, the same word honor is honor your father and mother and the fifth commandment. And when it says widows, the word for widows here doesn't just, doesn't just mean, mostly means, doesn't just mean those who've lost a husband. It really can also mean those who are truly alone, a, a woman who is in need. A woman who's a single mom, a, a, a woman who, uh, um, you know, is, is alone because of society in different ways, uh, through divorce or whatever. Um, so honor those women who are alone, specifically uh, also with widows, who are truly widows. Isn't it interesting? Do you know in this little passage it says three times, those who are truly widows. What does that mean? Well, obviously there are some who scripturally said they don't fit the qualification what are those who are truly widows it says this a couple of requirements one is those who are left alone materially they have de destitution the widow's family listen their primary the primary resource that God, the bible gives us so practical you have a widow their first responsibility for help is the family it's their kids it's it's the grandkids i mean it's those who are supposed to honor and support the widow Interestingly, in those times, if a woman is married, there's a dowry given. The dowry is given by the, uh, the father of the woman who's getting married. And, it, and it's, it's, it's worth as much as he could give. Why? If the husband dies, here the father is trying to provide for his daughter, trying to provide something. That's to go right to her estate. Uh, but beyond that, making sure that all of us are honoring them. But it begins with the family. And also, those who are truly widows, they truly have, they're alone. And secondly, they've set their hope on God. They have spiritual godliness. They have material 
they're destitute, but they have godliness. Those are the ones. Not these self-indulgent ones uh, that says that she's dead even when she's living. Man, what a harsh thing. Self-indulgent probably means those who have given to prostitution. Those who have looked elsewhere to find means of support. Um, God's word is pretty harsh and, and clear. Um, but why do we do this? Why do we honor the widows? I'll tell you two specific things. One is we owe it to our parents. Hit pause. We live in a time where this isn't very accepted in the West. Certain cultures, you know that they're honoring the age. You know that that's how they live their lives. But this is saying that the nuclear family should be the first ones to help and to honor those in need. It literally kind of gives us this connotation, repay your parents and your grandparents. They invested in you. It's now turn for you to invest in them. Make a return, it says. Make some return to those that God has placed in your life over you. Uh, those who, who wiped your nose, changed your diaper, uh, did things for you when you couldn't do them for yourself. It's up to you now to look after them. We owe it to our parents, whether they loved us well or they didn't, whether they pointed us to Jesus or they didn't. There is a responsibility that we have to those above us. But we also owe it to God. We owe it to God because we know that it is pleasing in his sight when we honor widows. He says it right in verse 4. It pleases him. Why? Because God's heart for widows is clear. We honor him when we honor his widows. We're doing his will. This is pleasing in his sight. So we honor widows because we owe it to our parents and we owe it to God. And man, does God have displeasure in complete deadbeat? Did you hear what I read? If someone is unwilling to help his own household, then listen, he's denied, he's done two things. He's denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. He's basically saying, look at the pagans who don't know Jesus, they're supporting uh, their own family, Christians. I mean, who we are in Christ Jesus, don't deny the faith. Don't be worse than an unbeliever. Don't be a deadbeat. Provide for your family. When we realize that we were the vulnerable that Jesus came to rescue, when we realize and we put ourselves there, not as self-sufficient, we're okay on our own, but when we realize we're utterly lost apart from the grace of God, and the love and the work of Christ Jesus. If we don't realize, but by God's grace, there go I. When we realize that we have been loved in this manner, that we were the vulnerable that's been rescued and loved and set free. Now we're able to love God and love our neighbor. And then thirdly, we see God's pure and undefiled religion in verses 9 through 16. James, the book of James, a very practical book in the Bible. James 1.27 says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You want to know what it's all about? You want to know what real, true religion is? Well, it's those who visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep themselves from the world. It says, interesting, you do do two things, honor widows and enroll widows. What does it mean to enroll widows? Apparently there was some kind of roster that the early church kept of widows. We see in the book of Acts that there was so many widows that some were getting food and some weren't. 
and they had to kind of oversee this. And there's literally a roster that was being made that makes sure that they can, for these, these widows. Why? Because these particular widows had needed to do two, two things. They needed to be supported by the church, and they provided a service to the church. Not just supported, but a service. They also were those that, that were engaged in ministry. So the church should support and provide a ministry opportunity for these widows. What were the qualifications? One was seniority. They had to be 60 years of age. They had to be 60 years of age or older. Um, it's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm going to give you kind of the behind-the-scenes look. They probably felt like it was those widows that were beyond the age of probably getting married and some of that drive. Um, it says, listen, if those who are younger widows, have them get married. I, I think they should go get married and have children. I think that that's how they should be provided for. Um, so, I mean, again, this isn't like you're over 60 and you're a widow, uh, you shouldn't get married. My grandmother got married at, was she 83 or 87? 83, I think. My grandma got remarried. Man. All right. That just blows me away. But anyway, the widows had to have seniority. They had to be at least 60 years old. They had to have fidelity. It says the woman of one husband. What is this saying? It's saying this, that you were faithful in marriage. It doesn't mean that you only got married once necessarily. If your husband died, you got remarried, and that was a biblical marriage. That's fine. Um, but you were faithful. You showed fidelity in marriage. These are the specific widows that were on the roster to receive and to serve. And they were charitable. Um, she has a reputation for good work. She brought up children, maybe her own or maybe the communion, uh, communities. She showed hospitality. She washed the feet of saints. And she cared for the afflicted. You know what I think of? I got a personal example, known by many in this room. It's my mother-in-law. I think of my mother-in-law. Man, she meets those qualifications. She's well over 60. Well over 60. Certainly was an amazing wife. And boy, did she show charity to those in need. And I'm so grateful to be able to call her my mother-in-law. She meets all of those. She's now in a memory care facility. Uh, and my man, Scott, came over uh, just last Saturday, I believe, and pulled out their piano. Uh, he sang hymns for 45 minutes, wearing a mask and a shield. He was playing, and as it was falling down, he was looking it up and still playing. And I'm telling you, we saw people who don't speak sing uh, and to see what God has done. He honored widows. He honored widows and widowers. He honored them by just going and singing to them. King's Chapel, we are a family, a blessed family. We are a part of God's family. May we honor our great God the way we honor and respect one another, the way we love one another. And probably the biggest question for all of us was, well, are you a part of God's family? Remember that lavish love that we started with, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are, if we've placed our faith and trust in him. Remember, you don't get in the family because you're baptized. You don't get in the family because you're religious. You don't get in the family because you joined the church, even this one. You get in the family because of God's grace, your faith, and Christ alone is your Lord and Savior. Celebrate being a part of that family. You'll never get booted out. It's unbelievable. He's not going to change his mind about you. Everything was done on the cross. You're in like Flynn. 
that the right way to say it? Doug and I had an argument. Is it in like Flint? You're in like Flint or Flynn? Look it up. Either way, you're a part of God's beloved family. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your heart for us. We thank you for the dynamics of, of the church family and how you want us to love and honor one another. In doing so, we love and honor you. And God, you care enough about your bride, your family, that Jesus would lay his life down so that we could be a part of this family. And God, we ask that King's Chapel would be a place, a fertile ground for the love of Christ and the love of neighbor. We'd be a fertile ground loving one another. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.